this Sunday, amen. God has given me the title, What You Thought and What You Wanted. Amen. What You Thought and What You Wanted. Uh, amen. And it's, you know, any word that I preach is to me first. Amen. I, I don't sit back and think about what to say to y'all. I listen to what God is saying to me because it needs to be to me first in order for it to be authentic, in order for it to be real. Amen. So I won't be standing up here preaching a lie, trying to tell y'all something that I'm not doing for myself. Amen. And so I just found myself, I got off of work one day and I found myself thinking, Lord, this ain't what I thought it was going to be like. Right? This is not what I thought it was going to be like. Everything like this, this path that you had me on, the way that you have my, my, my marriage going, the way that you have the church going, the way the things that happened with my children, just all of it, my job. This is not what I thought. Right? I wanted A, B, and C. Amen. And his response to me was, what you thought? <laughs> And what you wanted was not what I had planned for you. Amen. And so I know that we have been in a series on Leviticus. I've been preaching out of the book of Leviticus, and I'm going to touch on that, but I'm going to spend the majority of my time in 1 Peter. And so this time I'm going to read it in a different translation. I'm going to read it in good news because I want it to be plain. Amen. And y'all can remain seated. And it reads... Be glad about this, right? You got to read the verses before that to know what the this is. But be glad about this. Even though it may not be necessary for you to be sad for a while because of the many kinds of trials you suffer, their purpose is to prove that your faith is genuine. Every single day that we wake up, it is a test of faith. It's a test of faith. Whether you consider it a big test of faith, you're going through a, a, a midlife crisis, something that you think is going to change the course of direction in your life forever, it's a test of faith. But oftentimes, the things that we're going through are a little bitty test of faith. God is trying to see how we are going to respond to what is happening, right? Every day is a test of faith, whether we are going to choose to believe or to doubt. How will you respond, like Pastor T say, how will you respond when life starts life? Are you going to turn your back on God? Are you going to start to doubt? Are you going to start to think, well, hold on, let me rethink this whole Christian thing. Let me rethink this whole Christian walk because I thought when I got saved, everything was going to go better, but this ain't what I thought it was going to be. Right, I thought that when I got saved, when I started trying to live right, when I started trying to change my behavior and, and put stuff in line, I was going to start to get some of the things that I wanted. But right now, God, it doesn't look like this. Right? And those, those little bitty tests when we don't get what we want or it doesn't play out like we thought, those are designed to prove whether our faith was Genuine in the first place. Lord, I thank you. Right? How will we respond when A, B, and C happens? Will our response be faithful? 
So for those who don't know, I'm an educator, assistant principal, taught almost 20 years now. In the education world, there is something called a summative assessment. It's the test that you give at, at the end, right? But as an administrator, we often, to, we often encourage teachers to give what's called a formative assessment, little bitty checks along the way. You don't want to wait to the end and give the children the test, and then all of a sudden they realize, man, I'm about to fail. I don't know this content. So you give them little bitty checks on the way so you can see how they're going to respond, and then you can adjust your instruction. God gives us formative checks along the way, right? He gives you little bitty checks along the way because he wants to see, okay, I'm going to take you through this test. I'm going to try to test to see if you are able to apply what you've learned so far. Because there's going to come a day when we have to take a summative. Right? And you don't want to wait to the end to figure out that your faith wasn't genuine. We have the best teacher in the world. The Holy Spirit. we got a great curriculum. The Bible. We've got equity. we got Every resource. We serve a God who has every single resource that we need. We've got fair and balanced discipline problem. Uh, 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 not problem, but a, a process. Talking education talk. Because sometimes you suspend kids home, like, but they're really not helping them because now they're missing instruction. But God, right, when he disciplines us, it's so fair. It's so just. And you may be saying, right, but it's not how he how he disciplines you might not be like what you thought. And how he disciplines you might not be what you wanted. Right. But he knows exactly what he's doing. We've got differentiated learning. He knows how you learn. Right. He knows whether you need a manipulative or not. He knows whether to give it to your audible, visual, right? Whether you're a reader, whether you're a listener. He knows exactly what you need. He'll put you in a position to get exactly what you need. He knows about your, your learning style, your background, your culture, etc. It doesn't matter. God knows how to reach you, right? But the problem is sometimes we think that school's supposed to be easy, Right? I don't know about certain dishes, but now it's getting to the point where kids can't fail. They make it where you can't give them an F, right? And so then when they when they get out of school and then they face some type of test or trial, right? What do you mean I'm I'm failing? What do you mean like right? Because I'm used I'm used to passing. I'm used to having redos. I'm, I'm used to doing it all. Like I'm, I'm used to all of these things, right? Life is not what I thought it was going to be. I thought I was going to be successful. That I, I can, you know, they tell you in school you can be anything you want to be. You can't be no giraffe. That's not true. Right? Of course, all of this is an analogy, right? But the point is, life is going to test our faith. And it's God's word that prepares us for these tests. What I read to you is that even gold, this is the seventh verse, even gold, which can be destroyed, is tested by fire. And so your faith, which is much more precious than gold, must also be tested that it may endure. 
when, 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 I, when I bought my wife's engagement ring, right, I went to the jewelry store with the assumption that I was going to buy a real gem in order to propose. I, I went with the assumption that somebody tested this jewel to make sure that it was not counterfeit. Right, precious things have to be tested in order to determine whether they are real or not. Nothing in this world is more precious than your soul to God. Therefore, God says, I must test you. I must test you. The, the, the idea is to understand what's real, what's sturdy, what's true. In order to find that out, you got to test it. Then the word says in the eighth verse, then, then it says, then you will receive praise, glory, and honor on the day that Jesus Christ is revealed. If you're tested along the way, when you get to that summative, when you get to that summative, you can be confident that you're going to pass. You don't want to get to the end of your life and realize that your faith, everything that you were believing in, was counterfeit. Why do we receive the glory and the honor at the end? Because, let me tell you why. First Peter, 8th verse. It says, you love him, although you have not seen him. That's faith. It's the substance of, of, of the things unseen. If you could see, right? It's just not what I thought it was going to be. This is not what I wanted. Well, if you could see what it was supposed to look like, and if you knew exactly how it was going to play out, if it was exactly how you thought it would, that's not real faith. That's not real faith. Right? The word is telling us that we can receive glory and honor at the end because we can trust God even though we can't see him. And the word says, and you believe in him, although you Although you do not see him, that's faith. So you rejoice with a great and glorious joy, which words cannot express. See, sometimes, even though it doesn't look like how you thought it was going to look, or you don't get what you wanted, you're supposed to still be joyful, even though it don't look like how you thought it was. Right? And when people say, why are you still praising? Why do you still have joy when your life is in shambles? That's the part where it says words cannot express, right? You're not going to understand why I still have joy, right? Because I don't even understand it. I don't even, I don't even, I don't, it doesn't know, it doesn't look like how I thought it was going to look. But he's got to be real. He's got, I'm talking about myself now. He's got to be real because what am I living for? If God is not real, what am I praying for if God is not real? What am I hoping for if God is not real? That's all of that is the substance of faith. Right. But the ninth verse is the kicker. The ninth verse separates the men from the boys and the women from the girls. The ninth verse says, right, all this faith stuff is right. You praise him with joy that words cannot explain. The ninth verse because you are receiving the salvation of your souls, which is the purpose of your faith in him. Sometimes we think that faith, believing, we're believing to get what we want. We're believing 
so that things can be how we think they should be, right? God, I'm going to trust you so you'll turn this around for me. God, I'm going to trust you so that you'll give me a husband. God, I'm going to trust you so that you'll give me a job. God, I'm going to trust you so that you can fill my bank account. But the purpose of faith is not to give you what you want or to make you the boss. The purpose of faith is to save you. It's salvation. You thought you wanted, right, all of these things, right? And many people teach and preach that your faith in Christ grants you extra stuff. But the main thing, the most important thing that faith grants you is salvation. If you do get married, that's just extra. That's icing on the cake, right? If you do have kids about that house, that's just extra. None of those things, getting married, having kids, buying a house, none of those things determine your salvation. Amen. You earning six figures does not determine whether you're saved or not. Right? All of that stuff, if it does happen, that's extra. Right? Having those things, do they make you a better Christian? If we go to a third world country and they don't have running water, right, and we do, does that mean we're more we're better Christians? Because obviously God is not blessing them because something is wrong with them. Their faith not strong enough. Because if they had faith, they would be in a better situation. We do people like that. We think that our faith is tied to our material wealth or our progress in life. But faith is about salvation. Having all those things do not make us better Christian. Those things, right? Having Listen to this. Having or not having those things are just a, a part of your test of faith. Those are just formative checks. What you mean, Pastor? If you do have six figures, that's a test. Because God wants to see how you're going to spend the money. He's going to want to see what, how, how you use it, right? And then if you don't have it, God wants to see if you're going to turn and say, God, where are you? If you are married, that's a test of faith. God want to see if you're really going to love your wife like Christ loved the church. If you're going to be willing to lay down your life or you're going to be willing to submit, right? And if you're not married, God want to see if you're going to put the idea of being married above him. If you're going to make not having a spouse an idol and that's what you're going to chase after versus him. It's all it is. It's all to see if your faith is genuine. Salvation is and will always be the goal. Anything that is not of God won't last. Anything that's not of God, it won't last. It won't last. Because if it, 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 if it was about the other stuff, we'd be saying, what if you get married and you go to heaven and your spouse don't? And you up there in heaven crying because your spouse didn't make it in. Now heaven ain't so joyous no more, is it? It ain't about that. Of course, that's what we desire. But God wants us all to be saved. 10th verse. It was concerning. Y'all listen to this. It was concerning this salvation that the prophets made careful search and investigation. And they prophesied about this gift which God would give to you. They tried to find out when the time would be and how it would come. This was the time to which Christ's spirit in them was pointing and predicting the sufferings that Christ would have to endure and the glory that would follow. God revealed to these prophets that their work 
was not for their own benefit, but for yours. As they spoke about those things which you have now heard from the messengers who announced the good news by the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. These are things which even the angels would like to understand. What are you reading, Pastor? First Peter is basically telling us everything that the Old Testament, everything that the prophets, everything that Daniel and Isaiah and all of these things, they were pointing us to a Savior. They were not trying to give us the roadmap on how to build a successful business. Right? There's some wisdom in there. There's some wisdom in the Bible. There's some precepts for life that will make you successful. Right? That's the extra I'm talking about. There's some, there's some common sense stuff in the Proverbs. Right? There's some dietary rules in the Bible that will help us with our physical health. That will help us make decisions along the way. But ultimately, everything that the Bible is about is about Jesus. It's about salvation. <laughs> right? Why do we think that these books about blessings and multiple streams of income and home ownership and doctoral degrees and job advancement and, and, and world travel, right? All of those things. Right? That's what we thought. Being blessed and highly favored is, right? When you're blessed and highly favored, you get stuff, right? Favor. So when you don't have all of that stuff, does that mean that you're not blessed? Does that mean that God does not favor you? If I attain none of these things, did I have a pointless life? Were other people more blessed than me? You thought your life was your own. It's not. You were bought with a price. Your choices are yours. Your choices are yours. But our lives belong to God. You thought it was about you. It's about his glory. Right? You thought it was about you. Go read your Bible. Lucifer thought it was about him too. And I want y'all to understand, like, now, and that, that, that's how it is when, when I use the name Lucifer. Lucifer means angel of light. Lucifer was not a bad name. It became associated with pride. But he was not designed that way. He was not designed to rebel against God. He chose to rebel against God. So now when we hear that name, we think devil. But God made him glorious. But he thought it was about him. Right? He thought the glory that God placed on him was because of him. Everything that everything that's good, everything that has happened good to me, God did. Not me. You thought you would understand it all. But the Bible says my grace is sufficient for you. Right? You thought you would get what you wanted. But that's not how it works. God gives you what you need, not what you want. Amen. This journey we have been on in the past, and now as we go, you know, and when I'm talking about this journey, I'm just talking about a Christian walk. If you saved, if you're not saved, and you want to begin that walk today, we're going, you're going to have an opportunity to do that. But this Christian journey, I'm specifically talking to the members of this house, all the word that goes for this journey, right? Even the series on Leviticus, right? 
We've covered many topics. We've talked about how to have healthy relationships. We've talked about how to win souls. We've talked about how to be a redeemer. I don't care what title. I don't care what title is put on this sermon series. The ultimate goal is salvation. The ultimate goal is salvation. God is attempting to get us to understand how to worship, how to be a priestly people. Right? It's about learning how to be in God's presence. The Bible tells us that light and darkness cannot dwell in the same place. It can't. Genesis 1, 3 and 4. Then God commanded, let there be light, and light appeared. And God was pleased what he saw. Then he separated light from darkness. You thought, right? You thought you could be changed by God and still have it your way at the same time. The word says that we were shaped and formed in iniquity. Right? So when God tells us to be born again, right? New birth, like he told Nicodemus, new birth, that means a change is supposed to occur. Romans 12 tells us the same thing, like be transformed. So how are you going to be born again and remain the same? You thought you could do it. You can't. You can't. All the rituals that we've been going through in Leviticus are pointing us to Jesus. Which is the who is the prescription for sin? God, all of these things, the whole Bible is trying to put us back in good standing with God. And so, on your own time, I can't like I because I, I'm and I'm getting ready to come in, JJ. But I wanted to touch on Leviticus eight and nine, but it got so good that I'm like I can, I am not gonna have time, right? But Leviticus eight details the ordination of a priest. It details the ordination of a priest. And Leviticus 9 details what happens when those priests offer strange fire. So if you read Leviticus 1, we talked about going up in smoke, the art of like the art of worship. So Leviticus 9 tells you what happens when you worship wrong. When your smoke is putting off a funny scent that's not pleasing to the Lord. Right? But Leviticus 8 tells us the power of priests is ordained. Right? We think that, you know, we can be changed by God and still have it our way. But this, this, you know, but chapter one tells us when you offer yourself as a live, chapter one of Leviticus tells us when you offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God, you are totally consumed. The old you is gone. Right? The fire is a purifier. I just read Peter. Fire is tried by gold. Diamonds are created under pressure. The fire, you are totally consumed. Your life enters this pressure cooker. Your life starts to go through these tests and trials. And this is to shape you. This is to form you. Right? So, once you give your life to Christ, that's like your ordination. Once you are ordained into the priesthood of Christ, because the Bible tells us that we, when you when you are God's people, you are a priestly nation, right? Once you are ordained into the priesthood of Christ, we are all changed to live that day and every day after with a dis- with a, a disciplined stewardship of holy things. What you mean, Pastor? So when these men became priests, from that day forward, their job was to make sure everything in the temple was holy. It's supposed to be the same thing for us. When you give your life to Christ, from that day forward, you're supposed to be making sure that the temple, which is you, according to Corinthians, which is you, 
remains holy. Right? We went through all those chapters before the eighth chapter, right? Because if you make a mistake, there's an offering for that. If you do this wrong, there's an offering for that. And I'm so thankful that we have the once and for all offering in Jesus. So if you do, like you get saved, your job is to make sure that your temple remains holy. If you do make a mistake, you can go to the once and all sacrifice, Jesus. Repent. Get back in line and continue your journey. And as you go on this journey, you're going to be tested. There are going to be things that tempt you to defile your temple. There's going to be things that tempt you to offer strange fire, to start worshiping other things and other gods. There are going to be things that tempt you and say, it's okay to sell in the temple. It's okay to do this in the temple. It's okay to have sex in the temple. All the stuff that Jesus, when he came and he flipped the tables and stuff, all the stuff that they were doing, it's okay to do that in the temple. It's not. It's not. The day after we get saved, we are supposed to move differently with the disciplined stewardship of the holy things of God. And that's supposed, our life is supposed to represent what God thinks, not what we think. The ordination described in chapter 8 is a rite of passage. Rites of passage generally have three stages. Generally have three stages. The first stage, right? The first stage is the separation of a person from their normal role in a given context. You thought you could get saved and everybody was going to treat you the same and that they would recognize that you knew off the bat. Oh, she's saying that. She knew. You thought they were going to treat you just how you would. That your friends weren't going to walk away. That your family weren't going to think you were crazy when you start talking all this God stuff. Right? The first stage of being ordained is a, a, a separation. You can't be different and remain the same at the same time. You can't be peculiar and be just like everybody else at the same time. Amen. The first stage is separation. The second stage is the in-between stage. Right? There comes a point in your Christian walk where you battle with right and defense. You know you, you, you start to feel different, but at the same time, you don't know if you can let go of everything. That's the most important part of your journey. That's, that's, that's the wound. That's the, that's, the, that's the trial by faith. That's when you're in the fire. I don't care whether you call it trial by fire, the wound. When I read John and I hear him swallowed by the fish, I don't know if that was literal or figurative, but I see it, right? Because if you read those verses, it talks about him feeling like he was sinking in despair. Jonah was under pressure. Right? What was he under pressure? Why was he on the run in the first place? Because he didn't want to do what God called him to do. He was on the fence. He was struggling with his calling. God, I know you're calling me to do this, but I don't want to do it. I want to go the other way. Then he began to sink in this in despair. God was trying to prove that Jonah's faith was genuine. Will you do what I tell you to do even when it doesn't look like you think it's going to look? Or even when I'm asking you to do something that you don't want to do? Every Christian goes through that stage. It's the in-between stage. You thought you could ride the fence. You can't. You're going to be miserable. You're not, you're not gonna, you don't fit in with the world no more. Because when you do what you're doing, you're getting convicted. You do whatever you do, then you go home and you feel bad about it. Right? But you also 
don't fit in with, with, with the church because you get convicted. Because you know I'm not like I want to, but I know I don't feel like I'm living. That's that whole unworthy feeling. God is saying, if you just believe, you're worthy in my sight. I'm not asking you to be all the way right. That's you putting that pressure on yourself. I just want you. I, I can sanctify. I can clean up. Nothing is impossible with me. You putting all that pressure on yourself because you don't want to let go. That in-between stage is the critical stage. And then the last stage of ordination is when you realize who you are. When you realize who you are who you are in God, that's when God, like, okay, I can do something. Because when you reach that stage, there's no going back. It ain't nothing. When you reach that stage, you realize it ain't nothing. It ain't nothing in the world for me. It's nothing left there for me to go like go back to what? I don't want that pain no more. I don't want that drama no more. I don't want, I don't want that confusion anymore. I don't want that time. I'm tired of trying to figure it out myself. I'm tired of leaning to my own understanding and it's getting me nowhere. Amen. And so I'm going to leave y'all with this. Go home and read Leviticus. I hope it's been good to you. Go home and read Leviticus 8. When Aaron and his son stood between the common area and the holy area of the tent. You can come on with it, JJ. When Aaron and his son stood between the common area and the holy areas of the tent, they were awaiting a credentialing that would change their lives forever. When they were getting ready to be ordained, I just took you through the three steps. They were between the common area of the world and the holy area. The holy of holies. They were waiting for God to give them a credential. To, to, to prove their fight, like to make it genuine, to make it real. That would change their lives forever. There was no way possible for them to enter this tent of worship and come out the same. Do y'all remember um, what's Elizabeth Watkins? I mean, husband name um, Zachariah. Do you remember when he went into the he went into the temple and God started talking and he doubted God and God closed him out his mouth until he would until he believed. You can't go into the presence of God and God starts talking to you and come out the same. If you try to enter that process and you're not ready to be different, God is like, I really don't want to hear what you got to say. I love you. But until you realize that there is a separation, until you realize, this is God, until you realize that God means what he says, then what is there to talk about? What is there to talk about? We thought, you thought, you could be a Christian and remain the same. You can't. Now we can have a whole conversation 
on what it means to be a Christian and what that looks like. But the only thing I want you to focus on today is that there is a difference. We can talk about what that change, all that change entails. But the main thing I want you to know is a change has to occur. If you a Christian and nothing changes, something is wrong. Mm -hmm. 